listening to 919 WDRT Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. Hello, everybody. My name is William Kyle Glenn. I go by Kyle. Uh, Tony Mackeset is not with us today, um, co-host, and I'm sitting here with my special guest, Joe Martino. Uh, Joe is the founder of a media organization called The Pulse, also the head editor of that, I believe formerly known as Collective Evolution. I've been a huge fan for almost 10 years. I trust you guys more than almost anybody. I got to be honest with you. You guys are my favorite media organization out there. Nice. I can always rely on you guys to be neutral, nuanced, balanced. And I love that you give a a consciousness. You bring a consciousness element to it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, let me just, cause I don't really know that much about your background besides that. Um, Maybe I'll just send it to you to introduce yourself in that way. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I I always joke, like I never saw myself ever being a a journalist, right? It was, uh, when I was coming out of high school, trying to make my decision, what am I going to do? Am I going to just kind of maybe do an entrepreneurship, maybe get a job, maybe go to post-secondary, um, you know, there's the societal pressures of, you know, you should probably go to post-secondary in this day and age because not a lot of people are getting, you know, what, what they call good jobs unless, you know, you got a university degree or college degree. So, um, I, you know, I kind of tried that route. I ended up dropping out of a lot of different programs. Um, I felt like I, I wanted to to shake things up. That was kind of like how I always was as a person. And um, I ended up kind of going through a bit of like a, a transformational journey within myself where I started to question a lot. Um, about who I was, what my beliefs were, like how did how did these ideas about myself get formed? Um, why was I feeling a little down and, and almost like depressed uh, during the the stages of leaving high school, going into into college, university? Um, I felt like there was a not a I, I wasn't feeling a lot of purpose. I wasn't feeling a lot of meaning, and I felt like I was kind of stepping into this moment where. Um, I would have to choose something that, you know, hypothetically I'm doing for the rest of my life. And it just kind of felt weird uh, to me in my body and in my mind and, and in my perspective. And so I, I, I sort of went on a bit of an intentional journey of trying to explore different and new things, but also I ended up meeting uh, some people who, you know, were right much in line with, you know, fostering these discussions and these explorations of, you know, again, where do our ideas come from? And like, how does, how does our experience, you know, program us or impact our decision-making and and our personality? And the more I went on that journey, the more I started to sort of feel free in uh, expressing something that was more true and authentic to myself. Um, And through the course of that, it led me to sort of asking the question of like, how do we share this with more people or how, what would society look like if more people were operating very intentionally, very authentically. And I don't mean that as a judgment to say like, you know, people aren't acting authentically. It's more so like, how do we know if we're acting authentically? Like, how can we explore that? How are we going to know what that looks like? And um, the more I kind of felt like as I explored this stuff, that there's so much autopilot that happens in our society that the societal design, so much of culture kind of pushes us into this sort of autopilot moment. And uh, through that, I ended up, uh, you know, creating Collective Evolution at the time um, and, you know, writing blog posts and, and making different videos, you know, discussing a lot of this transformation. And um, I had this passion of wanting to tie it into real life events, like how do current events, how do what, you know, happens in society and, and the way things function at a political level, even how does that reflect, you know, the state of being of not only individuals and people, but then how that builds into a community, which then builds into a, a larger country, say, which then builds into the culture that drives how our world moves forward. 
the more you explore this stuff, the more you ask these questions, the more you realize it's so much about who we are and what we believe ourselves to be as people is what's shaping this stuff. Um, and so we started to get into current events and that's how the journalism happened. It was like, how can we cover journalism and current events from the lens of also asking deeper worldview questions, deeper cultural uh, questions, deeper questions about our own traumas, our own, uh, our own perspectives of ourselves, our beliefs. How can we talk about all this stuff openly within the lens of, of current events? Um, which ultimately gets us to a, to being able to answer, um, more clearly, like what problems are and how we can solve those problems. Because we're, we're through that process of looking at things in that lens, we're identifying much clearer problem statements. What is the actual problem in society that we're focusing on? And how do we make a very clear statement as to what that is so that we can then have a solution that makes sense versus we kind of feel there's a problem, but we don't look at the layers of it. And then therefore we make solutions that don't actually solve the core. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the background how we, you know, came up into collective evolution. And, you know, just last year um, we sort of transferred into doing the pulse because collective evolution had been, you know, shadow banned almost everywhere. Um, independent media went through a lot over the, over the last four or five years. Um, and that's where we're at today. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot, man. Uh, I'm going to try to like piece apart what you, what you just said there a little bit. So we're all kind of like collectively to a certain degree, something's obviously off, right? Like, yeah, it seems like, the world is not functioning the way that it should be or the way that it could. Right. So we're um, trying to figure out, you know, what's happening, but you're noticing that people are just going through the motions. You're just noticing that it was kind of like a going through the motions with their daily life or, or what do you mean by that when you say that? Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where, where do the ideas of what we should do and are supposed to do in our lives, whether it be our career, the way we should live our lives, how we should plan our lives, what we consider success, like where do those ideas come from and how much of that is truly something that we feel we want to do versus we're just kind of buying into a culture um, that's, that's sort of moving. And then, you know, asking the question, you know, how many of us are, are asking deeper questions about what's happening, for example, in mainstream media or in politics um, versus just kind of accepting what's there. Uh, what that autopilot. Told. Yeah, that autopilot is kind of just, uh, you know, if we want to kind of get into the to the trauma lens a little bit, that autopilot is a little bit of like a dissociation from our bodies, from our, our own personal experience. We're, we're kind of just living in our minds a lot and, and engaging in this very sort of chaotic culture, but never really taking a moment to take a breath and go, what is actually going on? We're just kind of rolling with the flow and rolling with every single punch that happens and we're just moving through it. Um, and I think this could just build a lot of, you know, dysregulation in, in the body and a lot of dysregulation in our, our ability to feel good. Um, we see it happening all over the place. Look at the, you know, the mental health crises that are happening. There's so many factors contributing to that, but a lot of it is this culture of just go, 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 go. No consideration of, of how people feel, uh, well-being, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by the autopilot. And it's information overload too. We're just yeah. taking in so much constantly. Um, and you know, most of the time we're probably not even processing half of it. It's just continually stuffing ourselves with more, but that's why I like your approach. So at the beginning of your articles, you have this, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it basically says, take a second, breathe. Yeah. Um, set your pulse. And so from how I, I, I looked, I, I clicked more to look, read more about that. And basically it's like, you're kind of relaxing. You're getting out of this, like 
fast paced reality. And you were even showing some science on how that actually helps one uh, retain the information and whatnot. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So there's a, there's been a lot of research done since the nineties really kind of having a deeper understanding of our physiology. Um, We can get a lot into uh, somatic experiencing a lot into trauma and and polyvagal theory. Um, These are all just uh, words that, that discuss various, um, you know, lines of, of study and research that look at how, um, how everyday life or how stress or how, how trauma or traumatic events or um, the accumulation of stress affects our physiology and then how that then affects how we think, how we see things, our perceptions, like all these different things. So when we ask the question, like, why is the world so polarized and why are people so at each other? We could say, well, oh, it's the media's fault or oh, it's these people creating lies or it's these people doing this or whatever it might be. But really there's, there's an actual physiological explanation as well. Like when we are in stress mode a lot and our body starts to, our nervous system starts to dysregulate, we, we start getting ourselves almost locked into the state of fight or flight a lot. And when we're in fight or flight a lot uh, per se, or when we easily are triggered into feeling fight or flight, um, our priority as a, as a physiology, which affects our mind is not to have nice, loving social conversations. It's to protect and defend, right? So someone says something we disagree with, we jump into protect and defend mode. Now, if some of that is physiological and biological, and and you could argue part of our evolutionary process, well, that's one thing, but we're not victim to that as well. There's awareness, there's consciousness. We have this higher brain that allows us to bring awareness to something, which is to say, I focus my attention on it. I see I, through my education, if I, if I learn about how my physiology functions, I can also see that just because my body might be going into this defensive mode because someone disagrees with me doesn't mean that I can't, okay, take a moment, allow that to be, allow that to be what it is, understand that that's what's happening and respond differently as opposed to just reacting through automatic, if you will, unconsciousness, right? So what the research kind of shows in in this particular uh, case is that um, the more coherent our physiology is, which is to say the, the literally the rhythms, the actual rhythms that come out of our heartbeat, when you're looking at something like heart rate variability, which is, you know, measuring the differences between each beat, when there's a lot of differences between each heartbeat, you have high heart rate variability, which is to say, your, your heart is, is beating a pulse that synchronizes with your brain and with the rest of your body in a way that increases our ability and, and, uh, to, to stay more calm, to have a more regulated nervous system. It allows our higher, uh, thinking, our, our functional thinking, being uh, able to sort of communicate with one another on a more meaningful way, our social interaction systems, right. Which is to say, how can I look at people and truly connect with them, right? All these things come online significantly more when our heart is literally beating a coherent rhythm. So the exercise we ask people to do is, is to take a moment and we might've been hustling bus. We might be sitting there eating our lunch while we're reading this article. We might be on the bus after a day of work and, and we're just kind of in the hustle and bustle. It's just a moment to say, Hey, just tune back into your physiology for just even a minute, right? It's just, just tune back in, just feel, take a moment to kind of just connect with some area of your body. And that exercise alone is going to begin to just tell your nervous system there's nothing wrong. There's no threat here. There's no nothing. And I, this isn't a per- perfect, like, okay, there's suddenly going to be like everything in the body is going to be perfect. It's a, 
it's an invitation before one reads an article to literally just take a moment to be a little bit more present. And, you know, over the course of time, these types of exercises, whether we do it every day when we read an article or whether we, we spend more time, five, 10 minutes a day doing stuff like this, these are just neurosensory exercises to regulate our body. The more we do that, the more capacity we build to maintain a very synchronized composure in our body throughout everyday life. Right. So uh, there's a lot to unpack within a lot of that. And I, I don't want to go into, cause it's very sciencey. We could do a whole yeah, yeah. episode on really unpacking that, but the general idea, the big takeaway as to why we ask that is to say, just take a moment to step out of that. Like we're just on autopilot and, and, and reconnect with your body, then read the article. Wow. And bringing that piece is transformational. And so what, yeah. what I'd really like about you guys, one of the things is because on one end, you could say that, you know, stay away from all this negativity, you know, it's bringing your, your consciousness and your vibration into a, like a negative space. But if you're not looking at what's wrong, how is it ever going to change, right? Like your room's not going to clean itself. The dishes aren't going to get done itself. Just an example, like you have to look at what's wrong, right? But at the same time, you don't want to get consumed by fear. So I I really appreciate how you're not saying not to look at, you're saying, it sounds like you're saying we have to look at this, right? But we need to be chill about it. We need to be in our bodies. We need to be really present. We need to be bringing awareness to these issues, you know, and you wanted to go in deeper on that. Yeah. Cause if you are having a physiological reaction to something, so let's say you look at something and it feels, it feels bad or it feels scary. Like let's say we're not looking at, a, let's say a violent crime, but we're looking at something that's like, um, I don't know, a, a political perspective where you might look at it and say, I don't really see anything wrong with that, but I might look at it and think, Oh my God, like the world is coming to an end. Why is it that I have that perspective and, but you don't, and maybe the person down the street has another perspective. And so what is going on there? Right. And, 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 and so by looking at it and, and paying attention to how we're reacting to it, we're, we're inviting ourselves to look at our own physiology, look at our own stories, look at our own um, understanding of how we're perceiving something and saying, what is, how, why are we coloring this in a way that is stressing us out so deeply? Right. A lot of times um, when people are, are sharing the idea that, hey, maybe you, you should consider not looking at these things because they're negative. The more you focus on the negative, the more negatively negativity there will be. Well, you know, that's a complex statement because there is truth to that. But but it also can be used as a sort of a blanket statement to say, you know, why is it that negativity is not felt in the same way as everybody like not everybody is going to define something as negative is some people are going to see it as empowering other people are going to see it as not negative right it it all depends but if something is a problem but it appears to be bad um like aka we, we we are feeling like this problem is not something i want to see persist well if you can't identify exactly what the problem is and the layers to which it's, it's happening. Like, so um, most problems have multiple factors involved into why it's happening. Right. So if we can't identify why exactly it's happening and then show people and be able to express to the other people we share a community with, which in some cases is 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people, a million people. If we can't clearly express that problem and it's many factors to people such that we can bring a solution, then how can we bring a solution? Right. We, we, we can't, we would just be saying, well, let's just not focus on the negativity because, you know, it's only going to create more negativity. But what we're saying is kind of like, why do you even think it's negative to begin with? Right. A lot of the stuff isn't negative. 
Now, of course, we can get into the discussion of the fine line between, you know, getting caught up in the drama of it and, and really, you know, becoming obsessed over every detail and like only consuming more and more and more content that brings you down into this dramatic rabbit hole. There is something there too. That's a different um, addiction that sometimes the body has to where sometimes we've, we've depersonalized, we've dissociated so much that the only way we can feel is through high levels of drama. So we, we almost create this addiction, addictive cycle of, I need more, I need more, I need more. So that's a whole other thing. Wow. And again, you know, so the question is, is it's like, well, how do I know which one's happening to me? Well, the only way to know really is to begin that personal journey of understanding your physiology, educating yourself about how your physiology functions and then being more present, noticing what am I feeling when I look at this? What am I, what is actually going on? And this is, you know, something that takes a little bit of time. Nobody can tell you one blanket statement. That's going to explain that thing for every person. Um, You know, but the general feeling is that from our perspective is we're going through a time of transition, right? This is how I think it's quite obvious in our world that we're, we're seeing massive cultural shifts that are brought on by internet that are brought on by an expansion of consciousness, if you will, which is an expansion of, of awareness as we become more aware as people, uh, whether it even be through information or whether it be a spiritual journey of questioning, like, Hey, who are we? Greater awareness means we have to reframe everything we've learned. When, when you reach a, a different level of understanding about something, you look at back at what you previously understood about it and you have to rethink, well, now I understand more. So how am I now going to look at that situation? Right. And, and that's a reframe and that allows us to see, you know, what is actually going on with a situation and, and with our world, with our culture, with the system of politics, with, you know, the system of media, people are losing trust in all these things. They're losing meaning. They're losing, uh, there's a lot of people are feeling a lack of purpose. These are all bits and pieces of, of a story where something is transitioning deep down in, in, you know, the collective psyche, if you will, of humanity, the collective culture. And, we're going to need to be able to sort of stay in the game, if you will, of navigating that. What does that mean? That means we're going to need to be able to, to not lose ourselves to accumulation of stress to, you know, sort of what we might call like a, a mental health sort of breakdown where um, we become so overstressed out by everything that's going on that we just want to shut off from all of it and, and go in a corner. And that's okay. Cause sometimes we have to do that if it's that bad, but but are we then not in the game? Are, they, are we then not engaged as citizens to what role we play? And instead, we're just letting everything happen to us. And of course, that isn't to say that well, we have to be or nothing will happen. It's, it's just we're, you know, do we want to be engaged? Do we want to be part of this? Do we want to be empowered? And, and in a lot of cases, we need to learn um, how to participate in the game without losing ourselves to stress and depression and you know, complete nervous system dysregulation and so on and so forth. Again, I know there's a loaded topic, <laughs> but it's great. You know, it's good stuff, but, man. Yeah. But the general idea is like accepting and finding peace in the fact that we're in a tra- time of transition. I think it's obvious. I think a lot of people can see that and, and being okay with, there is going to be some chaos. There is going to be resistance. People want change. Whenever people want change, there's going to be a subset of people who resist and that's okay. That's part of the process. So accept that and find out how do I speak with those that are resisting and not want to kill each other? How do I maintain a level of composure within myself, legitimate, not a spiritual bypassing type of composure where we're just ignoring how we feel, but how do we actually process how we're feeling, free ourselves up from that, and then bring an honest, empathetic, and caring relationship 
to the people who might be resisting our ideas such that we can model to them that it's okay to talk about this and work it through, right? So, so this is what we're trying to wrap into a lot of our work is a lot of the verbiage we use, a lot of the language we use, we're, we're not inviting judgment. We're not inviting polarity. We're not trying to tell you what is right or wrong. We're trying to ask questions. We're, we're poking at deeper um, worldview uh, perspectives that are behind some of what happens that invites us to, to identify a, a better understanding of what problems are and where they come from so that we're not wasting our energy trying to solve something at a level where it cannot be solved. Um, so that's kind of what we're, what we're trying to do there. Amazing, man. Well, you are listening to 91.9 WDRT Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. I'm speaking with my guest, Joe Martino, founder of The Pulse, and we're talking about his, we're just kind of delving into his conscious media approach, which is just really fascinating, I must say. So in this journey to, I guess on one end, keep a good vibe, but on the other end, get in the game and find out what the heck's going on. Is this, um, is that how, because it sounds like you're saying you can actually have a transformational experience with your media. It sounds like you're you're saying that in a way. So as you're delving into this media and you're noticing that you're getting triggered and something's coming up inside of you, are you saying now you can utilize that to find truths within yourself that then can affect the world? Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like saying um, like we are trying to tie together um, transformation in media for sure. Um, The, where it gets tricky is like, like this again is a very loaded topic, but where it gets tricky is like, okay, you know, if I'm, I'm triggered by something, it's not necessarily seen as like, okay, well, this is a bad thing. Or now my vibe is, 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 you know, dropping or this, that, whatever it's, it's a moment to realize here's how we feel about something. It might be in that moment. Hey, this, this bothers us because we, we really do feel that this is like an injustice and it's not, so we're having that emotional reaction. It's not to say that we shouldn't have had that emotional reaction. It could be that for that moment in time, yeah, we felt some anger towards what's happening because what's happening is really destructive, right? What, what, what we're, we're making space for is allowing that anger to come, be felt, acknowledged, and then pass, right? Emotions are meant to, um, you know, come up, be acknowledged, be felt, be understood, gives us a, a piece of information about how we're perceiving a situation. And then processed and it moves out and it doesn't linger and it doesn't get stuck in the body and become, you know, stuck somatic energy that can cause, you know, legitimately, if you look at the ACE study, um, you know, these types of things can cause illness down the road, right? Um, It causes more dysregulation in in the body. Again, this is not uh, necessarily um, just like a a spiritual perspective that we've had for, you know, many, many, many years uh, going back thousands of years. You know, a lot of people in the Eastern religions had these types of perspectives about how energy can get stuck in the body. But we also see this now scientifically in the way these types of emotions impact our nervous system, impact our organs, and then how that can create levels of dysregulation in the body that doesn't allow the body to self-heal as easily. So if you're, if we're constantly exposed to environmental damages and the body has its own capacity to regenerate, but we're interfering with that regeneration by being so dysregulated, which is to say the nervous system is not able to send the necessary signals and information to the body to say, um, go repair that part, 
go repair that part. Okay, now go. Instead, it's going, oh my God, there's a threat coming from somewhere. Where is it? What's going on? What's going on? Where's the threat? Where's the threat? Where's the threat? And it, so it's spending all its energy doing stuff like that. And so our, our, our capacity to heal starts to diminish. Um, but the transformational aspect of it is in understanding that physiology, it's understanding um, being, you know, sort of committing to a relationship with ourself and our, in our own biology and our own impulses and our own, um, I guess you could say reactions to stuff that help us understand ourselves better. And the more you master that in a sense, it's not that now everything is just beautiful, viable all the time. It's that when we do, you know, sort of have that emotional reaction about a, a particular situation, it, it doesn't blow up. It doesn't become something that we're going to hold on to for, you know, days on end or years on end for some people. It's not going to tarnish our relationships. It's not going to um, create a situation where we now have to go into a, a, a mode within our body that's stuck in survival, say. Um, that is now no longer clearing, seeing clearly what's actually going on. We have an, a, a reaction. We're going to decide within ourselves, okay, you know what? That, nope, this is just an injustice. It is what it is. I'm allowed to pass. Or no, something deeper is being triggered here because the person beside me is not even having a reaction at all to this because I'm just perceiving this in a, in a completely different way. But only you can answer that for yourself and explore that. This is why it's a personal relationship. And uh, so, so what we're able to do in this point is instead of wasting all of our energy with all of these ongoing grudges, all these ongoing, you know, holding the anger, you know, turning it into suffering and then starting all these judgments and going against people that disagree with us and all that stuff, we're able to allow things to flow smoothly. And, and again, it's not something that, okay, you just watch our videos or read our media and it just goes away. It's, it's like, we're just inviting that relationship with news, with information, with media, we're inviting that with, with what we're doing. Um, and we're making space for that and we're prompting that, uh, type of behavior so that that's how it can be transformational. Awesome, man. Um, one thing I've heard you say multiple times is you notice a lot of people doing a lot of inner work on themselves, right? They're, you know, maybe they're doing yoga meditation, maybe they're doing therapy counseling or whatever, but you're kind of what you, I think you've touched on is you notice that a lot of people don't then translate that into like reimagining how society works some of the the narratives that were taught and kind of like rethinking and restructuring our organizational systems. Um, why do you think it's important to challenge those narratives? And um, yeah. 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 It's so this could be a personal journey for everybody, but I feel deep down if we really asked ourselves, like is what's happening in our world and the way we're living and the way we're being, does it feel you know, not just logically, but does it feel like something that we are really in a position where we're thriving as people? Um, does it feel like it's deep with meaning and deep with purpose and deep with, um, is it at our capacity to, to, to show that this is, this is humanity thriving, right? Are we seeing like, when we see so many people going hungry, so many people going homeless, right? So many people that are at odds with each other. We see so much mental health crises. We see so much stuff. What is the result of all this? And is this the society that humanity is capable of? Or is there, is there a possibility that we've lost our way in our own connection to ourselves, And we've created a culture that feels very individual, very disconnected, and all of the systems and infrastructures and ways of running society has been built out of that state of being. And as a result, 
it's going to feel very disconnected where leaders don't really care too much about people. They care about their own agendas. And, and a lot of people are, are hoping more for just, I just, you know, I gotta be, I gotta protect my career as a politician versus do what's right for people. Right. Like all of these ideas, like what state of being is that birthed out of, right. Cause we could say, Oh, well, it's just evil, but that doesn't tell us anything. Right. What is actually happening within people? within society, within culture that supports this entire system. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, where, where this, this goes is this discussion of ultimately, like, if we can invite a, a reframing of why our society is the way it is, if we can look at that, which, which isn't to say, okay, well, we're going to do yoga, or we're going to do meditation, or we're going to do, you know, personal work, just so we can feel better in this world. But how can we also say, okay, we can do that stuff, but then look at our world and go, does this really resonate with you? Like, does this really feel right to you? And if not, if not, like, how do we change it? Right. And then a lot of people um, might feel, okay, I I do my meditation. I do my yoga, you know, I I feel good, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not bashing these things. These things are useful tools. Um, But I'm saying, if we then turn around and say, in order to me, for me to maintain my, my state of, of calm or my state of, of meditation or whatever, I got to avoid all the hard questions in society. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing at that point? Like, what's, what's the point, right? Where does this cultural judgment of looking at current events, where does that actually come from? Is it a fear of having to face some of the darker aspects of, of society, of the darker aspects of ourselves, from the darker aspects of what's going on in our world? And if we then say, okay, well, maybe I, I do my meditations or I do these things per se, and but I'm an activist. I do want to see equality amongst all different color and you know and races of people in America. Say, let's just say as an example. Well, okay, but how do you do that? And if if you're if you're only going to look at the surface level and say, well, we do that by just you know um, not hiring as many of these people and hire these people and just do that and do that. It's like, yeah, but what is the actual problem? Like, how can we get to the core? of what the issues are that exist within our, our infrastructure. And a lot of times when you start asking those questions and you start being curious enough to, to want to solve these issues at their core, you're going to find it's cultural. You're going to find it's, it's, um, it's people needing more awareness, but you're also going to find that there's immense levels of corruption involved in a lot of this stuff. So you can address the culture all you want. If you're not including the addressing of the corruption, you're not going to solve anything. Right? So if you will, it's, it's the collective of humanity going through a, cause I'm sure this has happened many times, a dark night of the soul. Where we're going oh, yeah. through, we're going through the, the, the messier aspects of, yes. of, of what's in our culture, which involves, you know, I hate to say it, but politicians not doing the right thing and, and deep, deep, deep levels of corruption that if not acknowledged will not be solved. And, and I think most people, um, most people, feel turned off by, and, and perhaps rightly so, the typical uh, way in which conspiratorial or, or corrupt, you know, corruption, it's exploring corruption in society, that type of content has typically been explored in a very aggressive, very angry, very like, uh, you know, we need to fight back and get our revenge type. And that turns a lot of people, it turns me off, right? And it's I not can, grounded. There's a lot of times it's not grounded and stuff. Exactly. And so what we're trying to say is, look, there's, there's ways to do that. There's ways to explore that without hopping into that energy, but actually be empowered. Um, and, you know, and again, that's kind of the why we believe like 
there has to be, at some point we have to ask the deeper question of like, what is going on in our society? Like, what, what do you really want to see created? Because your, your voice matters in what gets created from the very purpose that every time you have a conversation with somebody about, you know what, I actually think humanity is capable of something more in X aspect of society, whatever it might be, you now create a conversation that may create another and another and another. And we're, we're, we're normalizing, if you will, a cultural shift in the types of conversations we have and, and where they go and what they reflect on. And those conversations build into movements. They build into action. They build into something. So yeah, reframing that and looking at that is, is important, even if it's just at the conversational level right now. What you're saying reflects the law of life that I subscribe to. I think it's uh, like uh, hermeticism or something as above, so below, as within, so without, you know, so if like you're doing the work within yourself, but you're not willing to like look at what's happening in the society, maybe it is actually reflecting something you're not looking at yourself yeah. as well, you know? Yeah, because the inner the inner work should, uh, and I shouldn't say should, uh, but it can, it very well can change our conversations, change our actions, change our choices, change our relationships. But it's interesting how sometimes we set up this almost cultural barrier where it will change my choices, actions, conversations in these areas, but not here, because if I did that, that would be negative. It, it's it, it's got to be reflected upon. And people so often run up against like their, their worldview. That seems like a hard thing to shake for people, right? Mm-hmm. What, why, why is that so hard? Why, why are people so kind of solidified in the way that they look in, at the world? Is that their safety? Is that how they feel secure in their life or what? Yeah, those uh, plus potentially other uh, issues, right? Um, you know, we not only do we have that within our, our, our mind and, and the way our mind will then want to protect itself to some extent, right? That, that's there to some extent. And, and the more um, curious and open and regulated, like if you, if you look at a, a well-regulated nervous system and its relationship to curiosity, it's incredible. It's a very curious mind is, is opened up with the more well-regulated we are as people. The, the more stress and the accumulation of stress the less curiosity that will exist in that person's mind based on the very fact that it's no longer a priority in our system to be curious when cumulative stress has, has come up to that level, right? Because it's, it's just our biology, right? So we don't want to ask questions. We don't want to think outside the box. We don't want to veer into to new ideas because it's, it's not a biological priority at that point. However, um, People will, so, so there's a ton of different reasons, as you mentioned, as to why we'll protect ourselves. But even one of them is just the, the sort of the cultural thing that we're witnessing, whereby people who think outside the box sometimes, or who, who have new or alternative ideas can often be outcasted, judged and ridiculed. Um, you know, they can lose their friends, they can lose family. I mean, it, we see these examples happening. And then what does that do? It, it sends a signal back to other people. It's not safe. It's not safe to do this because you will end up outcasted. And if we're following, again, going back to biology, we are community driven creatures, right? So if we're now seeing that for me to to ask too many questions could result in a lack of communal safety, then, and again, it's not to say that that lack of communal safety is real, you're still going to be safe, but the perception is I won't be right. And, and, and so there's, there's, there's so many layers, like it, it's hard to say, is there one reason? There's a lot of stuff. Many, many reasons. Tribalism. Um, like just... Yes. 
but the the key is that we're not victim to any of them aka uh we're not stuck with that we we can very much easily bring some awareness to that build capacity to challenge our ideas to question our ideas um one of the other things is like when a worldview starts to 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 break down a little bit when we start to question things what can happen is and you see this sometimes with the with the sort of the rabbit hole phenomenon with conspiratorial uh, type stuff we start to shatter something within our our worldview perspective and as it starts to break people go through oh my god i don't even know i don't know what to believe or what's true anymore oh my gosh and and it, and sometimes you can go down this rabbit hole and what can happen again this is not everybody this did not happen to me for example but i've seen this happen to a lot of people and a lot of people report feeling like this which is i you know I, I, I now just start believing the one person who has put together every single dot, which has created a simple or a single explanation for how everything in the world works now, because why we're willing to, instead of being curious and asking a lot of questions and really figuring out and allowing that, that this process of, okay, what really is true? And what does the evidence say? And what does my curiosity say? Instead, we just, somebody tell me what actually that now. And the reason why we go through that is because when the worldview crashes, we're in a state where we don't know what is anymore. And the mind is going to bias towards wanting to know what is completely because that's what it was used to. So it can often look for the one guru, the one thing, the one that has all the answers. And, and that's okay. If you go on that journey, you go on that journey, but it's like, if we have the awareness that that journey is possible, perhaps we can invite ourselves to stay I know I still got to question that as I'm exploring it. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, that's kind of the, the little caveat that can sometimes go with that too. Nice, man. All right. Well, you are listening to 91.9 WDRT radio free space for Roqua. And this is the conscious bro show. I'm speaking with my guest, Joe Martino. And we're talking about why it's important to look under the surface and find out what's happening. Um, and really do that exploration for the better, for the betterment of society and yourself. Um, I wanted to ask you, why do you guys take a neutral approach? Then why do you think it's important for um, media organizations to be neutral? Yeah. So one of the ways in which we define neutrality here is, is, is really much a, a feeling of, okay, without hopping into um, this sort of this state of let's just judge everything or let's just place it into a box of why it is that somebody did that. How can we maintain enough open-ended curiosity that it becomes this sort of this approach of saying, look, we're, we're exploring the information with uh, this sort of understanding that the factors that play into why this happened or why somebody acted this way can be many. And in the spirit of wanting to know what is the reason for X problem or, or how do we really provide a solution here? There has to be we have to move beyond just like the political spectrum, for example. Well, this, this happened because they're Republican, they're conservative, they believe this. Is that, is that all it is? Or is there something more? Is there something deeper? So instead of framing everything in the typical frames we have, which is, you know, political frame or, you know, just getting caught up in an emotional judgment or getting caught up in, well, it's just purely corruption or it's just good or bad, or it's just evil or light or whatever it might be. We, 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 step, try, we try and maintain a level of openness to everything. Um, Neutrality can be considered just openness, right? And it's not to say that we're going to sit here and excuse behavior that's 
unfavorable or that's destructive. It's more so if we recognize that that's destructive and many people are going to see different types of behavior as destructive and not destructive. And some people are going to say, this is okay. And that's not right. We're going to have different perspectives on stuff. So we need to be clearer about how it is we decide to identify what a problem is. And the only way to do that is to maintain a sense of openness, a sense of neutrality, because very, very quickly, we're seeing this happen right now. If you don't maintain that, you have all these people who are going to start to say, well, these truckers are, are all at the convoy. They're all, they're all racist. Therefore, therefore, it's bad. Well, hold on. If you maintained a sense of openness and neutrality enough that you were able to listen to some other perspectives, you wouldn't have been one of those people supporting the government's decision to provide financial sanctions on their own people because you think they're racist. Instead, you would have saw, why are they actually there? Right. So mainstream media, oftentimes a lot of alternative media will, will invite you into a polarizing frame. This is my side, their side, this good, bad politics, whatever it might be, polarizing frame. And we just tend to feel that it's not as helpful in the long run to do that. Um, although it, it's popular because that's how you talk to the audience you want to talk to. If I'm a conservative and I want to talk to conservatives, I create conservative sounding content. Right. Um, so it's really, it's not, again, it's not to say that, okay, we're going to sit back and just let bad behavior happen. It's more so look, how do we actually solve that bad behavior? And in order to get there, we got to be, we got to be neutral. We got to be open. We got to be willing to explore. We got to be willing to understand, empathize because the vast majority of people, the reason why they make decisions even if you feel they've lost their way at, at 45 years old and they're really corrupt, somewhere along the lines, they, there's, there was a shift that happened. Something happened in that person and it kept building and building. If we don't want to understand that, then we're going to assume all the time, well, we remove that corrupt politician. We let another one just become corrupt. Well, it's just a cycle. It's going to keep happening. Right. Right. So we got it. We got to understand what in our society, what in our culture is producing this. What, why does it, does our financial system bias towards corruption? Does it reward corruption? Does it reward, um, does our political system reward uh, people who are willing to stab each other in the back just to get to the top? If so, we got to start talking about our system, right? We got to start talking about why our system doesn't work. And so that's what the openness and the neutrality allows you to do is get deeper into understanding things. I absolutely love that. I think that's great. I'm glad you brought up the truckers because we definitely got to get to that. Why are they there? Let's just create a quick backdrop. Yeah. What are they doing? Why so, are there so many truckers in Ottawa? Sure. So yeah, so they've, you know, they've, uh, the way it initially started was there was a, uh, a mandate where uh, truckers that were traveling across border in the United States um, had to be fully vaccinated to both go and come back. Right. So it was a mandate on both the U S and the Canadian side. Um, that was kind of the early rumblings was a lot of truckers were, were upset about that. It quickly expanded as this convoy idea came into play. You know what? We don't want the federal mandate that's here in Canada. So it's a, it's a, you know, federal government basically said any person who's unvaccinated cannot get on a, a train, a plane or, or a, a cruise boat type situation if you're unvaccinated. So basically people can't travel around very easily if you're unvaccinated. That's a, a huge problem that affected a ton of Canadians. So while, while, you know, some people joined for the, the, the trucker mandate and then some joined for the, the federal mandate and then some joined for provincial mandates. So these are now not federal, but provincial decisions to say we need vaccine passports or we need um, 
you know, mask mandates or we need whatever, regardless, people came together saying, we don't support these restrictive mandates, especially at this time during COVID. It, it doesn't call for it. It doesn't allow it. And everybody came together as individuals to basically say, we want this stuff dropped. So that's kind of the main reason why they went to Ottawa was because they know that, uh, and part of this is my own perspective I'm going to add to this, but I know that a lot of people felt this way is they know that by going through the political process, talking to your MPs, talking to your, you know, your local politicians in essence and saying, okay, well, Hey, can you pass this up the chain? They know that that's not going to work. And they know that a, a March where they walk down the street for an hour and then, you know, go home. They know that that doesn't work. They knew that something had to be disruptive and unavoidable and unignorable. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no property damage. There was no violence. There was no injuries. There was no nothing, but they, they knew that it had to be something that got the attention of politicians because not that they wanted to piss off the citizens of Ottawa. It was that if we don't do it this way, it, we're, it's like we're doing nothing. Nothing will happen. Basically. That's right. So that for those that are upset at the truckers for, Oh, you know, causing some parking infractions and, you know, uh, annoying some Ottawa citizens, those people can reflect and say, look, regardless of what the truckers did, why is it that you have millions and millions of people in this country that feel that they have no voice, they have no recourse, they have no option in the system that we live in. Maybe there's something to consider there. Maybe we should be going, man, if it wasn't vaccine mandates today, maybe it'll be another issue tomorrow that you're on that side of. And maybe you're going to feel like you have absolutely no power unless you do something disruptive. So instead of judging the truckers, maybe we should ask, why is it that we have no power in society? Why did it come to this? It's a great right? question. How many, how many truckers were there? Okay. So I should say, I haven't said this yet, but you were on the ground in Ottawa. How, yeah. Right. How, how many days did you spend there? How many, you had a team there too, correct? Yeah. So we initially had uh, one of our journalists go down there from day one. Uh, she was there for, I want to say almost, a, almost a week, maybe five days. Then we had a little bit of a dark period where we had nobody there for two days. And then we got back down there. Um, that's when I went, we were there for six days. The first time we came home um, again, we had a dark period for about two days. And then we were there again for, I want to say another seven days or so. Um, but we pretty much always had somebody there. We were always kind of getting the story. We were always seeing what was going on. And uh, uh, so being down there, you know, you, you get to see all the different perspectives. You get to see what's going on um, and talk to people and not only the, the residents, but, but the truckers themselves. Right. So did you, what's the number? I, I feel unclear on how many were there. I heard, seen, heard so many numbers. Like, yeah. what do you think based on what you've so, heard and seen? Yeah, early on when, when we're in our office here and you're, you're hearing on social media, oh, there's as many as 55,000 truckers. There's as many as 30,000. There's 10,000. The convoy is 11,000, you know, truckers on whatever. You can't verify anything, right? So, you know, here we are. We're running some math going, well, hold on a second. They're saying that this thing is 60 kilometers long and how many trucks could fit into 60 kilometers with a safe distance? Like you're, you're just <laughs> guessing, right? And at the end of the day, we felt that, you know, this convoy couldn't have been more than about 2000 truckers or 2000 trucks. Not that's not including like passenger vehicles, uh, like, you know, people that are driving cars and, and other types of right. trucks. We're talking actual like, truck trucks. Um, all said and done, there was probably in the downtown area, which again, there was Wellington street. And then there was a number of other streets, plus some other areas where trucks were parked. You're probably looking at like, 
I think it was under a thousand trucks, like actual truck trucks, but you had so many people involved. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were there all the time. Like no matter what, there was at least between, I'm going to say 3000 and 5,000, maybe 6,000 people that were always there. And then on the weekends on the Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays, it got up to 25, maybe as high as 30,000. But the, the other thing is, is, and this is one of the key things is there was a lot of people who couldn't go. And there's a lot of people who couldn't like to go to, to Ottawa, which is like our, you know, Canada's capital. It's not like it's a cheap city. It's not like you're getting a hotel for 43 bucks. Like you're, you're going to spend $149 a night. You're, it, you're, you're in kind of the downtown area. It's, it's very cold in some of the days that, that this thing has gone on. So a lot of people can't just go, I'm going to sleep in my car. I'm going to just pitch a tent. Like it's, it's very, very difficult in the climate and in the cost of that city to have in immense amounts of people um, just sort of being there. You know, we did Standing Rock back, uh, you know, however many years ago it was. And I want to say it was like something like six or seven years ago. Love that. This reminded me of that actually in a way. I mean, different. Yeah. But... yeah. And, and, you know, we went down there and there was probably about, I don't know, maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred people that were between, uh, you know, the natives who were at their own camp and, and then more of the civilian camp that was always there and had, you know, kind of their own setup. It was not even anywhere close to as big as what this convoy was in terms of a permanent installation. And yet it was like the power of it online and all that sort of stuff was immense. And which is very similar to this, this, even in the middle of winter had more people involved. The snow didn't come till the tail end of, of um, you know, the demonstrations that happened with standing rock there, but, you know, we were there before there was snow. We were there. Lots of people were there in the sort of the tail end of the summer. Um, so the size of this convoy, they, you know, they talk about fringe minority. They talk about there wasn't that many people. There was a lot of people couldn't make it. The fact that you had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in an expensive city, right? Again, standing around 20. Yeah, they went there and pitched tents. Like there was, you know, tons of people. You couldn't do that here. Inspiring. So it's, it's very clear that this represented uh, a massive portion of the population. Some of the latest polls, you're talking about, between you know 55 and 65 percent of the country depending on the week that you pulled them do not want any of these mandates to be maintained here in canada so the vast majority of people want all covid mandates ended but they keep talking about it as if you know it's only these truckers that kind of wanted that or this fringe minority of people but they actually represented what most people think and feel Uh, again providing you're sticking to the facts we know people will say, well, these people were racist or they're white supremacists as a, a, you know, I can tell you right now, almost nobody, if anybody is really aligning with those ideas whatsoever, when you're down there, it is the most beautiful, like the vibe difference between standing rock. And this was night and day standing rock. It was inspired in the sense that people were there to help protect the environment. They were there to help stand with um, people that the land belonged to and, and they felt strongly about that but it was like a very different energy versus being here in standing rock or sorry in the, in ottawa and families and people and just the love when they keep saying like the love the unity the respect the community like it's an understatement how immensely powerful that energy really was on the ground it was in, it was incredible it was like the most amazing thing you've ever sort of experienced or seen um at least for me and ottawa residents would literally come down they always talk about the ottawa residents who are upset but they never talk about the ottawa residents who would come down hearing what they saw in the media and then seeing it for themselves and going 
I think I better come back here every day. You know, <laughs> they loved it. It was amazing, right? So there's a there's a there's a, a disconnect there too, even within Ottawa residents who were, look, I I actually do like. I don't mind this. I, I believe in this. And then yes, there are some who it was really not fun for them. Um, there's, but again, that's the resistance that you're going to have when you're dealing with a situation that is extremely serious. Like they're trying to tell unvaccinated people that they must be vaccinated. They're trying to tell unvaccinated people that they can no longer have the right to travel unless they're driving themselves. And how long before they then set up checkpoints at, at borders of provinces, right? You don't know. And that's the thing. It's because we don't know that at some point you have to put a stop to it. You have to take a stand against something, um, which is what these people really were, were trying to do. So the environment there was incredible. I mean, I, I'm getting the chills even hearing you talk. That you would not know that looking at the mainstream media. There's nothing. They're not saying that. That's not being shared. Yeah, they. It, for us, it was like, was the mainstream media out there lying every day? Well, depends on how you define that, right? What they were doing was they were pointing their camera at what they thought they should point their camera at, and then they were not pointing their camera at the other things. So a lot of times you hear, um, well, you know, there was a, there's one trucker that went up to a police officer, which really they meant protester one protester went up to a police officer and, and asked for his badge number uh, or one officer uh told us that uh you know people swore an obscenity at them um you had probably like a small portion of that entire group of people that showed up over the course of the 25 days or so that it was you had a small 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 tiny group of people that would that would yell at the cops or that would yell at the media for being there or that would get into arguments with Ottawa citizens. It was so small. It would, it's hard to find. The media never found it. They only heard stories of it, right? Was it's there crazy. ever, was there actually like a Nazi flag? Was there actually a racist? Was there any of that that actually happened? So again, it all is going to depend on how people define racism, right? Some people are going to uh, take some of Pat King. He's one of the, the characters. They're going to take some of his statements and say, well, back in 2009, he said this, that we think that's racist. Um, other people are going to say, well, I'm not sure if that's racist. The point is, is Pat King was not a key figure in this movement. He was one person that had a bit of an audience from prior that the media painted as like one of the key organizers behind this whole thing. He was not. Um, so you remove him and suddenly now you don't have any racist <laughs> stuff going on. And in terms of the Nazi flag, there's mixed perspectives on that. So um, first off, both the, the Nazi flag and what they call the Confederate flag um, that was there, la- both of them lasted maybe 20 or 30 minutes. Almost nobody saw these people at all. You, We went around, we asked tons and tons and tons and tons of people. Nobody saw it. The one person who went on camera and did say something, and we didn't capture this ourselves, but somebody else did, said, yeah, I was here when the Nazi flag guy showed up and he was, he was actually down, if Wellington Street is here, he was down a set of stairs off in this park. And he was moving around saying like, you know, he had a, apparently he had a European accent and he was saying like, this is what your country is going to become if you don't wake up. If you don't, oh, really? if you don't wow. This is one of the stories, you know, okay. another Another interpretation, um, which again, no evidence of, was that maybe that guy was planted there, right? The guy with the Confederate flag, again, lasted about 20 minutes. He was covered from head to toe in baggy clothes. You couldn't identify anything about him. He was wearing a full uh, face mask with just a hole here for his mouth and just a hole for his eyes, okay? And there happened to be one of, uh, you know, again, people argue this was the photographer for Justin Trudeau. 
We have no way to prove that for sure. They look similar. They do, but we can't, we can't say for sure, but he was right there to snap a picture in the 20 minutes that guy was there. So, and then of course that picture gets around in my experience, seeing literal police provocateurs go break glass and go smash buildings and then run behind the police line. I've watched this happen here in, in G20 here in Toronto. If I had to put my money on it, and this is not foolproof evidence, but if I had to put my money on it, I would say that that person was a provocateur. They were planted there to get a photo so that this could become the narrative that, you know, went throughout, uh, went throughout Canada. Um, but I can't prove that for sure. And either way, the key to take away from it is that it was one flag for about 20 minutes and everybody there was saying, look, this is not what this is about. Please get out of here. Please leave. And he was, he was forced out by the other protesters. Again, anybody I, they, I, I followed, I have video evidence of that. Anybody who did anything out of sorts, if they took a snowball and threw it towards police, which only I've only seen happen once immediately, everybody's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. This is not what this is about. And I followed this guy, watched him walk away and everybody, they just shamed them out. Right. Because that's not what this is about. So no violence, anybody who was getting too riled up because every now and then one guy would just get a little too, you know, whatever, again, not about to cause angry or not about to cause violence, not about to hurt anybody, but who was just yelling at police a little too much. People would say, Hey brother, calm down. They'd give them a hug. They would talk to them. Right. The, the composure was absolutely beautiful. I still get a little emotional about it. Cause it's like people cared so much about what this was about. That's and awesome, they man. cared. They cared so much about the community. They cared so much about helping people and to see it framed in the media, the way it was, it's, it's probably one of the largest media related travesties I've ever seen in my life. Jeez. And they were actually like, I heard reports that they were cleaning up monuments, that they were feeding the homeless. They were actually providing, they had like bouncy castles. They're actually providing services for, for the community too. Can you, did you see that? Oh yeah, it was a, it was an intentional community set up entirely based on volunteerism. No leader, no leader telling your job is this between this hour and this hour. It was none of that. The only schedule that existed is after the the initial first couple of days. There was like some some like oh somebody stood on that monument or you know somebody. Uh, put this flag on the Terry Fox statue or whatever. And of course the media turned that into desecrating monuments and like, you know, they, they went with their narrative. Um, there was a, a, a number of people who agreed to basically be part of the security detail for the convoy. So the convoy itself had um, say, you know, five, six individuals every night. Uh, your shift is from midnight to 6 a.m., uh, then the other person's shift is from 6 a.m. to whatever, noon. And then from noon, to, you know, they, where people would just walk up and down and anytime they saw or if they saw anything that was destroying property or whatever, blah, 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 they would call the police and they would say, police, you need to come in and help the situation. From what we know, that didn't even happen. But the reality of the situation is, what I mean by it didn't happen, they didn't see anything happen. The actual security detail was happening. But um, the general point is, is that it's like, they were there with so much respect for the city, for the monuments, for the creating no damage. Like they knew they're not, they're not stupid. They knew everybody was watching, right? They don't, they don't want to see a dirty place. They don't want to see people slip and fall on ice. They don't want to see any damage happen. Right. So they took the time to organize as a community and, and they built something that's uh, significantly better than the way Ottawa runs on a regular basis. Wow, man, that's super inspiring. Yeah. 
So one of the, um, one of the things that's been really concerning to me is that uh, you're saying that this, this um, represents about 55 to 60% of the population. Yeah. Quite easy. Um, so when, when Trudeau is saying these things like um, fringe minority, misogynist, racist and stuff, it's directed, it seems like it's directed to truckers. And if we look at the way that our society is ran, Western society is, is the backbone of that is truckers. So you're, we don't get what we want if we don't have truckers, you know what I mean? Yeah. So to just blatantly insult that group of people like that and based on falsehoods and lies that's that's that pisses me off frankly and that's deeply disturbing now that you know maybe a lot of people are actually thinking that and to think that these people that are like making our lives possible are bad people that just seems like a really destructive thing to society yeah and it you know within that there's like different things like people will say oh 90 percent of truckers were already vaccinated you know, so, so he's only talking about 10% of them, but, you know, but a lot of truckers that were there were fully vaccinated. Right. Um, yeah. Lot, yeah. Like the, the general point was that a lot of people didn't like the direction the, the country was going in a, a lot. Of, we, we spoke to tons of people who were down there who are all fully vaccinated people. Um, and they're there because they don't believe in some people who are fully vaccinated only got vaccinated because they were coerced to your job or vaccines, pick one right? Um, or sorry, your jobs or no vaccines, pick one, right? So um, people talk about how, you know, there's 77% of Canadians that are fully vaccinated. Well, how many of them? Is it 30%? Is it 20%? Is it 40%? What we you know that only got a vaccine because they were coerced to. And then do you think those people are actually now going to support mandates? Trudeau had this, li- this line where he basically kept trying to say that anybody who was vaccinated, even if they only got one dose and never got any more, which, you know, all, all those people just support all these mandates. So 90% of the country supports the mandates. That's what he kept saying. It's like, no, there's only a tiny, tiny portion of the people who are, uh, who, who are believing in the narrative to the point of, of a very high level of fear who are in support of those mandates. That makes up like 30% of the country, maybe 35, maybe as high as 40. But the rest of the country does not want the mandates at all. Um, so whether it's truckers and, and calling them, so he was essentially saying that that whole 60% of people of the whole country were misogynistic, were racist, wow. were, were extremists, were, um, uh, he, he called the, they take up space in our country. They just take up space, right? Wow. Um, so he would say these things. And, and again, is he playing politics? Yes. And the reason why he's being that daring is because he knows he can't get another term after this. It's already, he's already called in an election. It's like, you know, in that case, this is where his career ends as a politician, essentially, right? Um, so he doesn't really care. And number two, he's obviously, there's got to be some level of orders that he is also taking, right? We don't know what that is exactly, but there's got to be something going on there. And at the end of the day, he has to get done what he needed to get done, whatever that looks like. And that's why he didn't care what he said. Um, Plus he knows the media is going to protect him. The media is going to be on his side. So, you know, what motivation does he have to not say stuff like that? Why wouldn't he meet with them? That, that was what I didn't like. You know, it seemed like these guys that what I kept hearing was they just wanted to sit at the table. You got 55 to 60 percent of the people that are not happy with the government, with what's happening. The government is supposed to be representing these people. Yep. And they can't even sit and have a conversation with them. 
and they wouldn't even have sent a representative. That's the thing that's crazy to me. They didn't even send like, even if they were somehow afraid that they were going to have this magical like attack where they were going to kill Trudeau or something like you think of the most outrageous thing that you could possibly believe. Like, even if they're afraid of that, it's okay. So send somebody else that is at least going to sit with them, take notes and, and go, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, but no, they, they didn't. And I, I think, again, that shows that, um, I think this is where people were most upset and using the, the word tyranny, because what they were saying was that in a democracy, these conversations do happen and people are represented. And um, there's a, there's a level of respect in that relationship between politicians, elected leaders, public servants, and, you know, uh, the people. And what was being showcased here was that from day one, these people were terrible. And there was no point in talking with them and they never did. And so when, instead of words, like I always look at this going back to the the transformational lens, when you're modeling to your society that when someone doesn't agree with you and you're trying to lie about how many people it is that doesn't agree with you, plus you're also trying to, uh, you know, lie about the character of these people. Plus, instead of having a conversation with them, you're deciding to just call them names or hide, go into hiding for seven days, you know, call them names, uh, basically say, well, we're going to bring in the Gestapo to get rid of you. You're modeling a type of behavior that even our parents as kids teach you like, hey, guys, use words before you resort to anything silly, like bring in a mediator, go talk to an adult, go ask for help before you you know, go do something aggressive and go do something. You're telling me that a leader of a country can't even model that to its citizens. It's out, it's outrageous, right? It's, it's, it's something that on, on the, on the most basic level, even if people listen to what I just said there and said, yeah, but these people were terrorists. What, what is your definition of terrorists? What, you know, what, how, what did these people do that was terrorizing? And then they're going to talk about the swastika. They're going to talk about the Confederate flag and say, like, okay, so you have one person even if that one person actually thought he was going to fit in with that crowd. So you have one person that was there out of probably over the course of those weeks, what 200,000 people probably came through there. So you're talking about like almost nobody. And as a result of that, you're not going to meet with these people. Like it, it, in no way does it make any sense at all to not sit down and talk with these people. Um, But again, the government had to, because if they were going to sit down with them, they weren't just sitting down with the organizers who were going to say, please, can you remove the mandates? They were going to be sitting down with the scientists that were there. There's multiple scientists who, who agreed to be, uh, you know, spokespeople on behalf of these mandates. And they were going to discuss with Trudeau why these things were unscientific, which means Trudeau would have been walking into a situation that would have been publicly transparent because they wanted it filmed and sent to the public so that it was clear to the public that this is what we're talking about. How would Trudeau or any of his people defend with science any of these mandates? They couldn't. They wouldn't be able to respond to stuff. So they had so many problems with meeting with them that they had no choice but not to because they would have got killed on the science side of things. They, you know, they would have basically uh, realized how many millions and millions of people are, are in support of this because they, they had brought numbers. They were going to be, you know, talking about this entire thing and they would have had to answer hard questions, which they couldn't have answered. And it would have been transparent for everybody to see. So, and then of course, you know, the government has to maintain that we have control, we have power. Um, and therefore we're not going to meet with you because if we meet with you and then things don't look good, it looks like we're not powerful enough. So it's a tricky situation, but yeah, it's a poor modeling to the citizens. And for all these reasons is why you were saying you felt personally that he's unfit to be a leader. 
I heard you bring that up a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, um, a leader doesn't act like that. And, and again, you know, we know uh, to be, you know, to be quite honest, it's like the political system doesn't really necessarily promote uh, truly good leaders because it's they're more there's much more of a, a of a string of evidence that suggests that people who get to a certain level of politics are there because they're willing to do whatever they have to do to be there and that usually means the wrong thing you know the things that that harm society that harm people um those people are selected in a sense like oh yeah we know that you're going to be willing to do anything, say anything, whatever, so long as your career gets advanced, those are the people we want in the upper echelons, right? Um, the evidence suggests that. It, it, it seems Absolutely. very clear when you look at it. So, um, you know, I, again, it's like, is that a leader? Well, I guess it depends on how you define a leader, right? But for me, yeah, <laughs> me, I look at it as this is a leader wouldn't do that. A good leader would not, would not do that. They would unite. They would care about people. They would, you know, so for that reason, I think the vast majority of 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 politicians at a higher level, so not a local level, but at a higher level, the vast majority of them, um, I think it's fair to assume that they're probably not good leaders, um, but take it on a case-by-case basis, like put effort into really understanding people on a case-by-case basis. One thing that really impressed me about you and your media coverage of this event was you did a video um, highlighting this woman that stood in front, I don't know if it was your car or someone else's car, standing in someone front of them and 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 she was basically like uh, protesting the protest. Yeah. And you interviewed her. So she was, the car was trying to drive somewhere and couldn't, she was blocking it. Yeah. And um, you guys interviewed her and were asking her why she did that. And she said, because she doesn't like that there's racists here or whatever. And I'll let you describe more of it, but basically you, you started highlighting the bravery that it would take to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and this highlights your neutral nature and your, your ability to go into the nuance of things, but I thought it really said something about your character and about your ability to look into that more deeply than just like demonizing her or whatever. You really brought out some good qualities. If you want to talk about that more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So she was basically, I appreciate the feedback by the way. Um, But she was basically saying, look, I'm only going to stand here for a minute. And she was trying to be clear with the person. This is just my way of saying, look, I don't approve of you driving around honking your horn all day long. Um, you know, which to some extent was happening there. Uh, they, they, they stopped the honking, um, even before the order came in, they would stop doing it at certain times to try and respect people. But then at the same time, the order did come in that stopped all the honking, but this lady was, uh, she was upset. Um, and, and her big thing was she felt that she believed a lot of the media narrative, um, around the quality of these people and, and how they were racist or how they were misogynistic or how they didn't like Asian people or, um, they didn't like the LGBTQ community, um, which again, people from the LGBTQ community that actually went there had a completely different perspective said they were welcomed by everybody. So again, we're all just balancing perspectives here, but, it, you know, she was there for that. And I, I did think it was brave and courageous to, to stand in front of the car amongst, you know, sidewalks filled with people who were like in favor of the convoy um, and do that. Right. It, it was like, you know, even if you don't agree with her, like she's doing what arguably people think the truckers are doing, which is, you know, setting aside time in their day to do something that feels uncomfortable, that is not easy and standing up for what they believe in. And, and can we at least acknowledge that in her so that we're not just saying, well, this is my side versus your side. We, if we can have that mutual respect, we can have a better conversation. 
right? We can, we can figure things out, right? And, and you know, somebody stopped me at one point, myself and my wife, as we were walking back to the car. And uh, they were like, well, are you neighbors or are you here for the convoy? And, you know, so it was an Ottawa citizen assess- asking us this. And I, I like, well, we're here for the convoy, but, you know, we're media. And she's like, oh, so you don't support them? And I'm like, well, as a media organization, we stay objective. But in my heart of hearts, like, I do believe in this cause. Like I am here partly for this cause as well. And she's like, well, you can't be media and be on their side. And I'm like, of course I can. And she's like, no, you can't. If you're, if you're on their side, then your media is only for them. And I'm like, no, I can be objective in my job and tell different stories. And she's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, oh, well, that's an interesting perspective. Right. And so, you know, here, here we are, I guess you could say, have practiced enough to, to, to be able to pull out the objective nature, to be able to help clear ideas up and be objective, even though deep down as a person, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not vaccinated. And I don't want to be vaccinated. And that's why I went down there because I think what's happening is outrageous, but I cannot say that in my media. And like to think that people can't see that people can have an opinion, but also be objective is it shows that it's like maybe they believe they can't be objective. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Well, yeah, how could you not have an opinion? You're a human. I mean, just, exactly. It's like if you're a human, you're probably going to have an opinion about certain things. Yeah, and that's and I would I would say to be honest, I, I think a lot of journalists, even in mainstream, are pretty good at being objective in their work and having their own opinions behind the scenes. I would say a lot of them are probably pretty good at doing that. Where they get hampered is by what they're not allowed to say on their organization. So they're not allowed to report certain things. Um, That is where the trickery and media comes in in, at the mainstream level is you can say this, but this gives a different story than if you were allowed to say all of this, right? Which means I'm going to give you 10% of the facts instead of, you know, 50 or 60 or a hundred. And that 10% tells a different conclusion than the rest of it so so that's where media really comes to the deception and it allows them to look like they're objective it allows them to look like they're sticking to facts but only certain ones <laughs> right on so how, how long were they out there all together in ottawa would you say i want to say it was uh 25 or 26 days you kind of lose track at the end because it's like well those two days where the police came in and uh you know those two days where things started to get hairy like you know it, it gets a little i'd have to like literally just look under a month so yeah. first they tried to get the tow, the tow truckers to tow them. And then they all came back and said they had COVID or what happened with that? So initially they asked uh, before they did the emergency act, they asked tow truckers to do it. And the tow truckers said, no, we're not going to do it. And the, you know, the media kind of took this position that they said no, because they didn't want to lose business with truckers. Uh, they, they said no, because they were getting threats from truckers. I mean, honestly, they, they could have said no because they didn't support the idea of the mandates. Like, Probably. you know, like, is that not a possibility? <laughs> so like, you know, the media said what they said and then uh, they invoked the emergencies act, um, which allowed the government to uh, basically force uh, private companies to do the work that the government needed them to do. Um, hold, and on, so hold on, hold on. So they, they could like, I'm just trying to contemplate that. So there's a yeah. private company and the government can come in and force them to do their bidding. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, you remember, remember when in uh, the beginning of COVID in the United States, when like Trump said, um, Elon, I need you to like 
transition your production to make these respirators uh, ventilators. You yeah, I do that. Remember that yeah. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is where under certain emergencies, the, the leadership has the ability to try and get companies to reposition what they're creating to, in the taxpayer money will you know reimburse them, but such that there's a greater need, right? So this is the act that Trudeau enacted was, we believe there's a greater need for you, instead of you just tow trucking, uh, you know, the odd bus or the odd person over here that needs help, um, we need you in here now. And so we're going to force you to do that. And there's nothing you can say. Um, and they, so get that's fired? Where, they would get fired um, if they didn't? I'm not sure what the penalties look like. We did not look into that, but there, there may be a penalty of by saying no to your government, but that's where the, you know, we are going to call in sick with COVID. That's where that rumor came in was they're basically saying, well, if we all just happen to have COVID, then we can't do it regardless. Right. So for the most part, what ended up happening was um, tow trucks came. I can't say how many of them, but a lot of them had all of their emblems uh, blacked out. So like they would put uh, stickers over what company it was. So basically they were coming in as a completely unmarked vehicle so that no pictures or no citizens could see which company it represented because they didn't want to lose the business. Because again, a lot of these, anybody who's really making a, a balanced effort to understand this knows that the vast majority of people are in support of the convoy, not the government. So it is not in this tow trucks company's interest to be driving up and down Ottawa, having the citizens see that, oh, they may not support me now, Right. Another chilling thing about this too is the all the funds that were seized. That that really troubled me. Um, yeah. GoFundMe that GoFundMe seized all their funds. There was like how many? Like ten million or something? Ten million in GoFundMe, yeah. And then a bunch of other ones. I mean, was there any was there any successful way to get the money from the people to the protesters? Was there any? Hundreds of thousands was handed by hand. Just like people would come and they would give envelopes of cash and, and you know, that there were literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars happened that way. Um, and there was, uh, you know, the initial million that GoFundMe released went into a, a, a TD bank account, um, which is one of Toronto Dominion. It's one of the banks here, big, big Canadian banks. Um, I don't know how much of that they spent before it was then frozen. So, Jeez, so they were spending some of it. They spent a bit and then I believe wow. it was frozen. Um and then, uh, so they're stealing people's money. Oh yeah. Yeah. They say like frozen means, okay. Well, cause seized would mean it would be we're taking it and you're not getting it back. Frozen means look, we're going to figure out what to do with this and how it's going to, going to roll out. Um, but because they were basically going after people who had donated even like 15 bucks, they were willing to throw financial sanctions on those Canadians or those people. Um, you know, you would expect that the future probably looks like nobody's going to get their money back and that it's probably going to end up being seized, but they haven't done that yet. I think they're just doing certain things at a time right now. Um, the, you know, the, some of the justifiers were that, you know, a lot of this money is foreign. It's coming from the U S it's coming from the extreme groups in the U S it's all foreign money. Well, I hate to say it, but like, look at any political campaign in Canada, probably like close to 40 to 50%. I mean, even Justin Trudeau is one of his latest uh, campaigns. I think it was something like 40 or 50% of the money came from the U S. So here's a prime minister running. Why does he have, you know, 40 to 50% of his money coming from United States interests and nobody's flipping out about that. 
But the moment they say, oh yeah, you know, some percentage of this money is coming from, from the United States. It, suddenly it's like, oh my God, this is a big deal. Right. So uh, a lot of deception in the way these stories were told and, and not put into context. Um, so it's like, was some of the money come from the U S yes. The context of that is that's completely normal in any Canadian campaign. You know, <laughs> So that context is, this is where at the end, they pick and choose the facts so that you don't get the full picture. Well, it was also changes everything. What was all, yeah. What was also troubling too is that people were getting their entire bank accounts frozen. I've been hearing, and I just want to see if you can speak to that. Like, and not only are they getting them frozen when they did it, it was totally fine. And, and then they're retroactively getting it frozen. You know what I mean? Is that yeah. what happened? Like, they did it, yeah. like, say they did it, like, they donated money uh, two weeks ago. And then, and then today they're getting it frozen. Is that true? Yeah. Or no, yes. I just want to hear what you say about that. Yes. Yeah, so after, after give, send, go was hacked. Now there's been a one guy who claimed that he was the hacker. He didn't provide any evidence, but um, a lot of people in a rumor are suspecting that the give, send, go hack, which ended up doxing all the people that had donated that it was, it was a, a fair possibility. It's a very fair assumption to assume that, or to at least explore that the government might have paid somebody to do this, right? The reason for that is on the same day that there was the hack, there was the announcement of the financial sanction and the freezing of bank accounts. So they, it's like, we have the information and you have the power to seize and or sorry, to freeze bank accounts on the exact same moment. What are the chances of that? Right. And then, of course, that's when you started to find out, oh, there was police officers in Ottawa who had donated. There was, you know, members of the Solicitor General's office in Ontario. So this is the Solicitor General is is, uh, basically people involved in in public safety and policing and, uh, you know, basically dealing with this convoy. People within that ministry, that department of government have donated. (laughs) So it's like, you know, it's it started to become like this outrageous sort of like there's way more people here that support this than people realize and people were losing their jobs. And, and it was just, it was a messy situation. And like CBC, one of the big media organizations here that a lot of people really dislike, they take money from the government. And that's part of the reason um, they were actually like calling people whose names showed up on these things and were trying to do stories with them, but in a way that was like positioning them as bad. And like it, they were basically being harassed by, by the journalists at that point. And, and it, it was just not, it was a messy situation, um, but yeah, people did, if they donated, basically the rule was if you donated as much as, even as little as $15, um, they might do financial sanctions uh, against you, which is to freeze your account. And as then you couldn't like be a member of a bank, you can't open a bank account in Canada? You couldn't uh, access any of your funds and uh, the stipulations on when it would be unfrozen, who knows, uh, it would be probably different for each individual. And I've also heard, I want to see if you can speak to this, the one of the main protest organizers, I think it's a woman, is looking at a potential of 10 years in, in prison. Is that true? Um, I can't say that I've seen that myself. I, I'm wondering, like, if it's Tamara Leach. Um, yes. She's one of the women. I, To be honest, I, I had not seen that her, from what I understood the last I looked at it, her being in jail for like just two days and then being denied bail, which is going to mean she's going to be in jail for at least another eight days. Uh, this was as of a couple of days ago, just that alone from what I understood would pretty much account for the sentencing she would get based on what she was charged with. 
Mm-hmm. So her lawyer was arguing, you're keeping her in jail longer than like she could even get sentenced for, for what you're charging her with. So this idea that <laughs> she might be uh, 10 years, unless there's something that we've missed, some set of facts that we've missed, I, you know, I can't, I can't totally speak to that, but um, it doesn't sound, I, I'm not saying it's not true. I just, it doesn't, I, it's not, I don't know about that right now. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if it is either. I was just trying to ask you. I'm definitely going to look into that though. <laughs> okay, cool. How um, how was the police down there from what you saw when you were down there? So this is very interesting. At the beginning, um, and when I say beginning, I would say up until like maybe the, uh, up and in, into around the part where Peter slowly, uh, and I'll pull this up right now just so I can speak a little better to it. But um, the police chief there, Peter slowly uh, resigned. And now he, so he resigned on February 15th. So I would say, yeah, up until about the last week, um, police were pretty, we're having fun. There's been no problems. Uh, everything's simple. Every, everything is like, we're not dealing with any problem. Cause again, there's no property damage. There was no injuries. There was no need to call an ambulance. Like nothing happened at this place. Right. It was a festival. It was a, it was a, not even a carnival. It was, it was just like a street festival. Like it was, it was beautiful. And, um, they were, they were fine. They were jovial. Uh, I think there was a couple of instances where maybe they had to deal with, um, you know, the odd protester being like, Hey, why are you supporting this stuff? Like take off your uniform. Like, you know, I saw that happen myself, but it was never, it wasn't a lot of people and it was never that big of a deal. Um, but, uh, when slowly resigned, the, the tone started to shift and the police were given, um, an exemption. The Ottawa police were given an exemption from needing to be vaccinated to keep their job. So during that whole thing, they needed to be vaccinated to keep their job. And the, the deadline was coming up as to when they need to be vaccinated. They and all the whole police force ended up getting an exemption. Now Ottawa police don't need to be vaccinated to keep their job. Mandates are being dropped. All of a sudden, there was a massive tone shift. So one could reasonably assume that this was a bargaining chip to say to the police, we now need you to stop being friendly with these people. We need you to start being more forceful. We need you to start actually giving them tickets. We need you to start. And as soon as that all happened, that's when you saw the tickets. That's when you saw the straight faces. That's when you saw, I don't want to talk to you. That's when you saw like, it was a shift. And, uh, and the truckers talked about the shift, the, you know, people kind of talked about it again, people were still very friendly, but you did see a little bit of that, an increase in uh, more people being like, like I recorded a whole interaction with, you know, three individuals. Again, they don't conduct themselves how I would, they don't conduct themselves in the same way. 99% of the people there did, but these three individuals were, you know, harassing a couple of police officers that night saying, give me your badge number. Give me your this. Why are you supporting this? And they were being very abrasive. They were getting in their face. Um, and then a whole bunch of police were called in. And I asked the officer, I said, is this common? And he said, oh, yes, this is very common. And I was like, it's not, though, because I've been here the whole time. And like, this isn't happening. <laughs> but maybe for you, it's common. And I just, I haven't seen you the entire time. But again, because this is a, this is not, you know, an entire city. This is one main street in the city where almost all the police presence was. So you could see, you could be around. And people were seeing almost at all times all the possible interactions that were going on. And this was not a widespread issue. Right. Um, but yeah, so the police kind of shifted there uh, at that moment in time. And, uh, and then of course, when they called in all the other 
community police officers from other communities. So like from York region here, from Quebec, which is another province from, um, you know, just other cities. That's when you started to see now officers are arriving that are not attached to this community. They're not going to have like a tactic usually bring people from that don't have any attachment to the people there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's when you saw, um, the biggest change. And then the first day of, of frontline police interaction, when they were pushing the people back, it was not too bad. I mean, uh, a couple of people got trampled by a horse. Um, the media, of course, you know, and the police lied about that whole situation, but it was, you know, it was what it was. People got trampled needlessly by a horse. No bicycle was thrown. Um, and, uh, that, that day was like a, like a five out of 10, you know, in terms of like tension and whatever, the next day was more like a, I get to say like a seven. Um, and, and the police were way more aggressive. They were way, they were like hitting people. Like it was, but it wasn't like a a 10 to me would be like police were just running at and just whacking people. Like I've seen in like some of the G twenties in the United States where they're just, they're brutal. Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was definitely, you know, closer to a, a seven. Like it was, it was, you know, you're kind of scared at times. Were people, I just want to clarify this too, because were, were people able to move about in the city? Were they blocking like people that live there? Could they get to their jobs? Could they get to their work? I would say that every business could have stayed open. Everything could have operated as normal. Um, there was almost no necessity to shut down the downtown cores. Parking lots weren't blocked. Uh, streets weren't blocked. It would have been uh, a greater effort to on some streets, a lot of them are one ways, right? So a lot of the streets are one ways. So you have, you have a lane that's only going this way and there's two lanes. One of the lanes had trucks in it. The other lane was wide open. So if EMS needed to get through, no problem. If uh, a car needed to drive through, no problem. Now, if there was a whole bunch of cars and an EMS needed to drive through, you might have a little bit more of an issue. So if they had full capacity traffic down there, would EMS been able to get through as easily? I don't know. Cause I don't know what Ottawa looks like when it's fully busy. I, I couldn't tell you, but for the most part, like could people park and then walk into the city and go shopping or go to the, like, it was easy peasy. Like it wasn't that hard. Right. Um, but there was disruption. There was, uh, there's no doubt about it. Like it wasn't my, my take is this, like a good chunk of those businesses could have very easily stayed open. And we heard from some of the the shop owners that they were actually scared into closing, meaning like what the media said, what the government said made them afraid. And then when they actually went there to be in their business while stuff was going on to protect it in a sense, um, they were surprised that nothing was really happening, that it was way more calm, way more collected. So again, for the reasons I laid out, I can see how, you know, government could have uh, created a, a reasonable idea to say, let's not have too much traffic down here. Cause then EMS might not be able to get through, but they're, they're not really fully contextualizing like what it was like, like the police blocked created more problems with blocks than, than the trucks did. Gotcha. And as so, of right now, as of today in the last four days or three days, at least the police, every Ottawa citizen has to show a card coming into the city and out of the city. Like wow. they're, it's, they said that the three weeks that this convoy was going on, it was beautiful. And now I'm like having to prove my identity every time I leave my house. Jeez. So, so the police turned on everybody. 
they got the police to kind of tow the line. They got the tow trucks, trucks involved, and now they have officially towed everybody out of the city. Is that all the truckers? Is it over, yeah. basically? Uh, or is it- as of, yeah, as of like Saturday, we just experienced. So what would have been like a few days ago, um, they had taken out pretty well everybody, and then probably by mid-Sunday, they towed the, the remainder, um, and now it's being cleaned up. And uh, again, cleaned up in terms of, there was nothing to clean. <laughs> you know, like they, they, the cops came in, they smashed a few tents. They, uh, they broke some people's equipment and stuff. And I'm sure they had to throw that out themselves. Uh, but the cleanup job wouldn't have been that much because it was immaculate. It was immaculate. Um, like shocking how clean it was. So yeah, that was, uh, they probably got it done pretty quick. And some people got arrested, right? Well, yes. So there's a, there's, there's details to that. So it's like some people got officially arrested, which is to say you are arrested and, and processed, which means fingerprints, you know, perhaps a statement, something like that. Some people were, and then most of them were all released, right? Some of them were arrested, but really what they were done is they were put in handcuffs. They were not read rights. They were put in a car. They were driven off to another area of Ottawa and they were let go out of the car. So have fun. Um, so they were never officially arrested, although the police said, yeah, they were arrested, but they weren't arrested. They were just temporarily detained, put somewhere else so that they weren't in the downtown core and find your own way home. Good luck. Right. I was told by a friend of mine that that's like old fashioned policing. Uh, that's what they do sometimes. And, and in this situation, I guess they did that. So the other than then there was people who were arrested and actually charged. And I think that's about as far as I as far as I know, I think it's less than. You know what? I, I can't even comment. I know for sure there were some key people that got charged, at least four or five, but I don't know how, what the number's at right now because for the most part, not that many people were getting charged. Okay. All right. Yeah, a couple more questions, then we should probably sign off because I've had you on over an hour and a half now. Yeah, no worries. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so it's it's done now. And uh, what what do you think? What are the results of this? You know, like what what has been achieved? Like you can maybe you can go over the because I know some people have reverse their mandates, right? Maybe you could talk to those, those wins and what else as a win or even the damage that it's caused like by via the government response. Yeah. So again, lots of different ways to look at it, but you know, you got some, a couple of provinces did uh, drop their provincial mandates. Um, uh, some was everything. You know, I think one of them was like almost all mandates, uh, but a lot of it was vaccine passport stuff. Like even here where we live, uh, there's only a couple more days where you're going to have to put a, 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 a QR code to get into a restaurant, say. Um, so that's going to drop. Now, some people feel that's a bait and switch and whenever they want, they'll just bring all this stuff back. Um, but, you know, who knows? Uh, so there was a few wins in that regard. Uh, the biggest thing is like awareness, I think. You know, a lot of people uh, became aware of the degree of of political corruption that exists and how the media will tell a story that is not true um, or media will really attempt to manipulate people inside with politicians. Like these are all massive gains in awareness, like huge. Like I'm talking to people that never would have questioned stuff. And now they're questioning things in a massive way. And not only that, but they're now going back and they're questioning. So, again, going back to what we said at the beginning with a new level of awareness, they're now re-questioning COVID as a whole. So they said, with the level of awareness that I had, I believed everything about COVID, but now I have a new level of awareness. Now I have to re-question what I knew. So you're seeing a lot of people do that. 
Um, the country itself, I think a lot of people felt how, uh, how at the snap of a fingers, you could have this tyrannical force of like freezing bank accounts. Like, well, this is outrageous, right? Because again, you have, if I had to guess, you probably have 65, 70% of people who are very opposed to this whole convoy or uh, to this whole uh, uh, government handling of the convoy. Um, so a lot of them are not impressed. A lot of people want Trudeau out and they've wanted him out for a couple of years. Now it's like, if, if they could almost like do a digital referendum tomorrow, that was trustworthy. Uh, he would probably be voted out like very, very easily. Cause again, a lot of people may not understand, but um, in Canada, there's almost like three parties that are pretty big. So you're splitting the vote three times instead of kind of twice, like in the United States, for example. Um, so only, only 31 or 32% of uh, eligible Canadians voted or sorry, voting Canadians voted for Trudeau. And then there was someone something like 30% for another party. And it was like, you know, the, the almost not quite the difference for the third party, because there's another green party that gets like one seat in the whole, uh, in the whole place. But um, basically 70, almost 70% of Canadians did not want Trudeau in power to begin with. Right. A lot of people forget that fact. He, he keeps going up there saying, you know, people voted and they voted for me. It's like, no, no, dude, 70% of the country didn't want you there. You know, so like that's a that's a big uh, realization. I would say now it's probably only maybe 15 percent of people that want him there. Like he lost a lot of respect amongst people. International relations are, are terrible. Uh, mainstream media around the world has been just ripping apart Canada and, and Trudeau. Um, I'm sure there's some support for him out there, but it doesn't seem very widespread. So people are feeling that they're seeing that there's a big lack of trust in, in policing right now. Um, there's a lack of trust in uh, the, the democratic process. Uh, there's a lack of trust in media, which I previously mentioned. There's a lack of trust in banking and financial institutions. Oh, like, yeah. You know, the fact that they would, they would Money's do something like safe. that. Yeah. They would do something like that. It's, it's a shock to people like, whoa, whoa, my own government. I'm a, you know, think about it. Like I'm a, there's, there was this one story. And again, this is one story, but you know, a lot of people feel this way, but you know, there's a mother who's providing for her children. She's a single parent, you know, not on a huge budget. She donated $50 and her accounts are frozen, right? Like this is how you're impacting families. Like this is how the government is treating a single mother, a family. It's like, you donated $50 to a cause you believe in. That's not violent. That's not racist. That's not doing anything wrong. They didn't break any laws. They broke traffic infractions. And you're now telling this mother she can't have her money and support her kids for who knows how long. It's outrageous. Like, it's just, it's outrageous. People lost a lot of trust in that. Scary too. But, but there's, an, there's a momentum, there's a fire, there's a spirit that's been built uh, within people where they're, uh, they're feeling very much like, hey, now's the time to continue pushing this forward. There's legal, um, there's multiple court cases against the Canadian government for this stuff going on right now from high level people, like very powerful people. Um, when you have, you know, figures like Jordan Peterson, who's obviously a, a worldwide known icon, you know, Canadian icon as well. Um, it, it, the way he's talking about it, the way he's positioning this, it's also helping to raise awareness in a very meaningful way, in a very grounded, respectful way, which is, uh, which is powerful. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting. We keep talking amongst, you know, friends and different people that, you know, the next sort of 30 days here, I think is going to tell a lot about, uh, where things are going to head 
uh, in Canada for the next little while. Are these mandates going to come down? Are people going to completely forget about this? Like it never happened. Um, like what, what is going to happen? It's going to tell, I think it's going to tell a bit of a story. Right. Well, it seems like the awareness around how the government really acts is really increasing. Um, And there's also rumors that I'm seeing some things that there might be a D.C., Washington, D.C. trucker convoy. Have you heard anything about that? I did actually see an article today saying that they're going to they're going to ascend the National Guard over to D.C. to prepare for that. I saw that right before I met, got on with you. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I thought I saw a video this morning. Uh, uh, in Utah of a convoy moving through. Uh, I believe they were saying it was X amount of miles long. I didn't, I didn't really remember the number, but it was pretty, it was it's pretty large. Uh, lots of trucks driving through people on the side of the road, waving the flags, right? Similar imagery you saw here in, in Canada. So um, we'll see because, you know, again, a lot of the, um, a lot of people may not fully recognize that it's not just the mandates here in Canada that affect the trucker situation, the border situation, like I can't go to the U.S. as a, as a, it's not my country that's doing this. It's the U.S. The U.S. says as an unvaccinated person, I'm not allowed to enter. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's federal mandates in the United States that are also, uh, you know, quite limiting and, and um, quite aggressive. And even the testing policy, like my, my wife's an American citizen and uh, she's unvaccinated and, and she wanted to go. And, um, but the U.S. testing is you have to be tested within 24 hours. And sometimes that's very hard to get tests, results, and everything, book your flight within a 24-hour period without spending like an extra 350 bucks on all the testing crap, right? So there's a lot of problems going on. Like other countries are, it's 72 hours, right? So you can get a test within 72 hours. So there's some rules even on the U.S. side that are just very difficult to deal with. Um, so this is happening in a lot of different places. And I think, uh, you know, people are ready. They've had enough. Well, well, the final thing that I'll ask you um, is what, what do people, what do we do? Like, what is the average person that's starting to see what's happening, wants to kind of make an impact? Like my hope is that this lights a fire, which it already has. And we'll see more of these pop up all around the world, which I hope happens, but you know, somebody listening to this sitting in their home, going through their daily life, what, what would you recommend them? How can they make an impact? Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things is, you know, it depends on what it is that we're trying to solve, whether it's people who feel we need to create a a better world in in total, or whether it's people who just want to get this one issue done. Um, The way I look at it is um, it's hard to wrap our minds around how we're going to change a whole system, a whole society, a whole global infrastructure, right? And it's because it's not possible for one person to wrap their head around something that large. It's literally not possible. So what's required is what's required is people to come together, people to have different, uh, you know, uh, people are going to bring their own skills to gathering the the different aspects of this. And as a community, we're going to build a a better future. Now that's a long-term goal. That's a long-term transition. It's a long-term solution we're bringing to the table. There's also near-term, short-term stuff. So where the, whereas the long-term sometimes when we're trying to create this better world, remove p- corruption from politics or create a different political system or create a different monetary system, these long-term things, sometimes you have to step outside the system and create a parallel system. But with near-term stuff like these va- federal mandates, you have to use perhaps different approaches, which are... Um, in the short term, you have to solve a crisis, an emergency that's causing people to suffer right now, where we might need to step into our existing systems uh, momentarily to, to help get stuff done, 
right? So um, sometimes the, 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 you know, the sort of the, the tantalizing idea is just abandon all systems and let's just, you know, do that. Sometimes the, the, the idea is just put all our energy into the systems now and try and fix stuff. But there's a combination, right? Identifying what is a near-term crisis, a long-term uh, solution that we need to, to resolve. All of it is going to be done through conversation, through action, and through a lot of the stuff we previously talked about here with, with really trying to make an effort to show up as a being in a way that is grounded in a way that is, um, you know, open in a way that is curious in a way that wants to have a meaningful social interaction with people. Um, that's, that's gotta be foundational there. Uh, conversations are just so important. Like having conversations about different ideas helps to change culture. It helps to change the way people perceive things. Um, and knowing how to have those conversations effectively, which is to say, show up with empathy, show up with curiosity, show up with your ideas clear so that, you know, things can go. Um, and that conversation piece, that being piece is going to fit into the short-term and the long-term solutions. My last caveat is that even when we're dealing with short-term solutions as a group, have that underlying backbone of, and that underlying foundation that we recognize we're solving a short-term solution right now in the framework that there's a long-term picture that is unfolding that is going to ha have us have to step outside of our system a bit. And the, the purpose that that recognition uh, serves is that it helps people to not get stuck in feeling like we always just have to use our existing systems all the time, all the, all the time. It's always these existing systems because that can be very easy to get stuck in. And next thing you know, you've gone five years getting caught up in, you know, local political drama. That's like, hold on a second. We didn't, we didn't remember to split our time between long-term and short-term. So that, that's the way I look at it. Um, and one other little tidbit is if you get your perspective from one place right now, even if it's alternative place, just open up some more, um, you know, hear from different alternative voices, hear from, uh, always keep, always keep a mainstream voice or two. Um, I always do that. I still read some mainstream voices. I still let, watch what they're covering. We want to know what they're saying. Like sometimes they are reporting accurate stuff. Right. Um, so it's, you know, that's another key thing just to, to keep our perspectives open. Awesome, man. That's super. Um, I'm getting the chills hearing you talk because the vision that I've had, you know, I'm, I'm a co-founder of a group called Driftless United for Health Freedom, where I live here. Mm -hmm. And one of my visions, we have like this um, emblem where it's like a woman holding a shield and holding out like a sword in her arm. And the shield was like the way that I saw it was like a defense strategy where we're kind of working within the system to like halt things that are really taking away our freedom. You know what I mean? things where it's like you know this is really encroaching on our life we got to like do something about this but then understanding that ultimately we need to go towards something else like more an yeah. offensive strategy build new systems and it kind of sounded like what you're talking yeah. about so I really relate with that a lot that's exactly it that's exactly it it's a it's a multi-factored you know approach here and um you know some of us might feel like um you know our minds don't naturally open up to massive complexity and all these different things. And, and that's, that's okay. It's just, it's just about knowing that some stuff is short-term, some stuff is near-term and we're going to serve in the way that we want to and, and focus on the cause that we want to, and uh, just not get caught up, not get caught up in believing that everything has to happen through the existing systems. So how can people find you? Yeah. So we got a website, uh, the pulse, uh, dot one. And, uh, you know, we, we put out articles and stuff there. 
Um, we do have Twitter and, and Telegram channel and Facebook and Instagram as well. You can all find that uh, at the bottom of the website. If you go to the website, scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see all of our social links. We had a YouTube account up until last night and we were chatting about that quick. They, they deleted oh, it. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a story there. We're hoping to get it back. I mean, we've got it back before because again, it's wrongful deletion. They're, they're legitimately, they're making a mistake. You know? <laughs> um, and they've acknowledged before uh, YouTube has that they've made a mistake and gave us the account back and we're hoping they're going to do that again. So yeah awesome man joe thank you so much it's been a really inspiring talk i've had the chills for like half of it so yeah, yeah stuff, no, i appreciate it yeah, yeah i appreciate really, it sorry go ahead no i'm just really inspired by the work that you do in particular in your media organization and i just think you're doing really great work so it's been a pleasure meeting with you man awesome yeah thanks so much i appreciate the, the questions the you know the direction and the way you thought things out it was beautiful i, I really think it's a serving conversation Cool, man. Well, you are listening to 91.9 WDRT, Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. This is Conscious Bro out.